Today on Blue 58, let's crack open the history books for a quick stroll down memory lane as the Packers prepare to meet a group of three teams with an interesting shared history. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, back with you for another episode. Quick turnaround on this one. It was less than... Ah, well, just a little over 12 hours ago, we were here recording an episode celebrating a Packers win over the Detroit Lions. And look, the debate over whether or not those penalties should have been called is just so much fun, but we're going to have to move on. Raiders are coming to town, and they are one of three teams coming up on the Packers schedule with an interesting shared history. I was looking at the Packers schedule earlier this year while I was planning out some of the stuff I wanted to talk about this year, and noticed that Here in October and into November, the Packers are going to play three straight former American Football League teams. You've got the Oakland Raiders, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Los Angeles Chargers. They've already played one this year, the Denver Broncos. And I thought this was an interesting opportunity to take a second and reflect on this league, the AFL, that fundamentally changed football. This is not going to be an exhaustive history. We don't have enough time for that. I am not the historian to do that for you. Just a couple quick facts about this league as the Packers prepare to play three former AFL teams in a row. If you do want an exhaustive history of this or a fairly exhaustive history without getting too bogged down in some of the like the contractual stuff, how the legal arrangements work between the team, check out America's Game by Michael McCambridge. Just a good look at the NFL history as a whole, and there's some great stuff in there about both the uh, the AFL and, as a, as a bit of a bonus, uh, another look at uh, the AFL's, I guess, spiritual predecessor, the AAFC, the All-American Football Conference. Some good stuff in there. But yeah, let's talk about the AFL. This isn't going to be a longer episode, and I figure you'll you'll forgive that, forgive me for that, considering we just put one out the day after the game, um, well, the night after the game, and and it is a short week here anyway. So let's just talk really quickly about some AFL history. This is interesting stuff because it really shaped the league coming out of sort of the early period of the NFL and, and heading into its golden era, I guess, if you if you want to look at it that way. The the AF the 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 NFL that really shaped what the NFL is today is affected in large part by the AFL. A league of eight teams that expanded up to ten through basically the 1960s. The league started rolling around 1959, got uh, really functioned through the entire 60s. Some of that merged with the NFL and really it came to, or it stopped to exist as something separate from the NFL entirely by the end of the decade. But like I said, there were eight teams that expanded out to 10, all of whom survived and are still active today in some form. You have the Boston Patriots, who are now the New England Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, Still the Bills, the Houston Oilers, who are now the Tennessee Titans, the Miami Dolphins, still there, of course. The New York Titans and Jets, uh, they became the Jets, that is. The Cincinnati Bengals, the Dallas Texans, who moved midway through the decade and became the Kansas City Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, the San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers, and the Oakland Raiders, who are soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders. And I want to sit on this for a second, just because the fact that all of these teams not only survived throughout the entire life of the AFL, but continued to exist after the merger with the NFL all the way through today is nothing short of remarkable. Think about some of these other leagues that have tried to 
challenge the NFL, or at least exist alongside the NFL, the AAFC that we mentioned, the USFL, uh, the World Football League. Almost all of those leagues saw teams come and go like on a monthly basis, practically, year to year for sure. Teams figuring out how to pay players on a week-to-week basis, teams coming into existence at the start of one season, maybe moving midway through a season, that all of these teams still exist in some form today and survived through the life of the AFL is amazing. And it really speaks to the planning and money that went into this league, which something that which is something that hasn't really been uh, carried over into other challenger leagues to the NFL. The AFL is also notable for some of its uh, strategic and functional innovations. First and foremost, the way that they tried to drive up scoring through encouraging passing. And one of the ways that they did that was by incorporating a different ball into their play. The NFL had at the time and still today uses a Wilson ball, but the AFL used something, a model of the football called the Spalding JV5. It was more tapered to encourage more passing. Whether or not it really worked is is up for debate, but that was the idea. And that they were even trying it is a huge contrast to the NFL, which remains a little bit innovation-averse even today. The AFL also was the first league to implement two-point conversions. That adds a little bit of extra suspense and adds a little bit more scoring. And both of these things really worked. There was a lot of scoring in the AFL, and there was a lot of passing too. Some of that had to do with the quality of the play in the league. Uh, There were some pretty decent quarterbacks in the AFL and a lot of below average players everywhere else through the NFL or through the AFL. And that resulted in a lot of points being scored. To that end, the 1961 Houston Oilers averaged a whopping 36.6 points per game over the course of their season. To put that in a little bit of perspective, the the all-time record holder, or the modern record holder, I guess, is the the 2007 New England Patriots, who averaged 36.8 points per game, and that's you know based on their their total uh, scoring figure the the amount of points that they score divided by 16 games of course there are there are other points per game teams that are a little bit higher but just putting it in context the Patriots in 2007 with Tom Brady and Randy Moss averaged 36.8 per game so two-tenths of a point higher than the Oilers all the way back in 1961. The AFL was an exciting brand of football, and a lot of people got to see it on TV. That was another key innovation of this league, along with the NFL, sure, at the same time, but uh, the, the AFL was fixated on making sure that their games were on TV. And Lamar Hunt, one of the key figures, probably the key figure in the history of the AFL, figured out early on that the real money was in TV and he had to get that real money if he wanted to keep his league afloat. Not only that, but he split the money throughout the entire league and helped everybody buoy up their franchises. That was a clutch move and one that affected the NFL in a big way too. Related to this was just the use of color. All of the AFL franchises, with the exception of the Oakland Raiders, had colors that looked really good on the TV. So think of the green of the New York Jets, the aqua and orange of the Miami Dolphins, the bright red of the Kansas City Chiefs and even the Dallas Texans, the, the, the powder blue and red of the Houston Oilers, the bright blue and red of the Buffalo Bills. All of that looks pretty great 
on TV. Run that up against somebody like the the Chicago Bears or even in, in some instances the Green Bay Packers throughout a lot of the 50s. It could be pretty drab in the NFL, and that doesn't look as good on TV. The AFL understood the value of having things that looked good on TV, and they styled their teams to look good on TV, and it worked. A lot of people watched it. The football wasn't necessarily that great, but people tuned in to see it, at least for a little while. Then there was the money. Everyone who got involved in the AFL had money and was willing to spend And they used it to lure away players who were just entering the NFL. This strategy worked like a charm. In 1960, the AFL signed away 75% of the first round of the NFL draft, which forced the NFL to radically alter its player retention strategy. They actually, and this is not an exaggeration, they hired, in effect, babysitters for the players that were being targeted by the NFL prior to the draft to make sure that they ended up signing with NFL teams that drafted them instead of AFL teams that drafted them. The, uh, Pete Rozelle, the NFL commissioner, really had to work hard to make sure that the NFL kept getting the top-tier talent. And ultimately, they won out, but the AFL made it hard for them. Let's talk about a couple of the key figures here. You can't talk about the AFL without talking about Lamar Hunt. He was the guy who who really started the whole thing and kept it going. Son of an oil baron, he had tried to buy into the NFL and failed. So what's he do? Well, typical American entrepreneurship. He rounds up a bunch of other rich friends who wanted to get into the NFL and started his own thing. He ended up founding the Dallas Texans, who ultimately moved to Kansas City. He, again, figured out that TV money was going to be key, but he also figured out that it wasn't worth it to fight the NFL long term. He realized at what would turn out to be a really opportune time that the AFL really didn't want to do battle with the NFL, and he started to work towards a merger. And much to the ultimate chagrin of Al Davis, who we'll get to in a second, they ended up merging and succeeding together. Lamar Hunt is also responsible for coining the term Super Bowl, which he thought wasn't going to last, but really stuck because it just it's simple and it works. Uh, something the NFL, I think, could learn about, <laughs> learn a little bit from today. We need things that are more simple and just work. Let's talk about Al Davis here for a second too, another big figure in AFL history. And there are a lot of other names in AFL history that matter, but Davis I'm picking Davis to talk about here because he's a good counterpart to Lamar Hunt. Now, if Lamar Hunt is the structure and stability of the AFL, Al Davis was the envelope pusher. And to a degree, that is a good thing. Because for a while, the NFL and AFL were really in a battle. And if you want to win a battle or even fight one, it helps to have a guy on your side that flat out hates the guys on the other side. And that was Al Davis. He really hated the NFL, Pete Rozelle in particular, and things that happened over the course of his life did very little to change that. But Davis was a big, he was probably the chief ground soldier on Lamar Hunt's side in charge of waging war against the NFL. And the way that he did that was by targeting NFL quarterbacks and bringing them to AFL franchises. He understood that football, especially if they wanted to focus on passing, was a game that was going to run through the quarterback. And he managed to get NFL quarterbacks to come over to AFL franchises by helping AFL owners throw their money around. Davis is also important because he served as a symbol of the end of the war between the AFL and the NFL. It was not lost on the NFL that Davis 
hated them and wanted to fight them for as long as possible. When it became clear that the team, the two leagues could do more together than they could apart, Lamar Hunt started working behind the scenes to merge the two leagues together. And it sounds like most of the owners in the AFL understood that was the way to go too. But Davis was convinced he wanted to fight till the absolute bitter end, until the NFL was destroyed, possibly destroying the AFL along with it, but he figured that they'd sort that out when the time came. So in 1966, Davis, thinking he's going to continue this war against the NFL, gets himself named commissioner of the AFL. He thought this was his opportunity to continue the battle. Lamar Hunt, working behind the scenes, knew that this would be a signal to the NFL that this war was going to continue or could continue and was about to get really serious. So at that point, talks do get serious. The merger becomes official. And just a couple months after Al Davis is named the commissioner of the NFL, the merger, which was going on without his knowledge, becomes official. And when it does, he gets real mad at the NFL because he thought he was going to be the commissioner of the newly merged NFL and AFL league, which was just never going to happen. And since under the merger agreement, he then became president of the AFL instead of commissioner of the AFL, because the AFL wasn't a thing on its own anymore. They didn't need two commissioners. Pete Rozelle was technically his boss, which he hated and spent the rest of his life essentially making Pete Rozelle's life real miserable. We've got to talk about Pete Rozelle, too, because he is a minor but still major figure in the story of the AFL. He was the opposite equal to Lamar Hunt. He, like Hunt, also stood the, understood the value of TV money, and not only that, but splitting up that money throughout the entire NFL to make sure everybody got a piece of the pie. It's also important that he didn't try to crush the AFL when he had the chance. Rozelle was a steadying figure for the NFL. Uh, throughout the entirety of his time as commissioner. And it was really not his policy to go out of his way to stamp out opposition or really try to shout down opponents or things like that. And that was ultimately a good thing, I think, for both the AFL and the NFL when the merger time came around. He didn't try to crush the AFL when he had the chance. He decided to play ball with them and they ultimately came together on a merger. I think the NFL could have prolonged the fight into the late 60s and 70s with the AFL and probably just outlasted them because they had that they had the brand recognition that the AFL never really achieved just because of the the age of the NFL. That's a difficult hurdle for an upstart league to overcome. That's a problem that we see even with these these upstart leagues today. People don't want to watch, you know, pick an, a, an XFL team or uh, whatever that league was that was popular last year was. I don't even remember the name anymore. People don't tune in to watch a team that just appeared out of, the, out of thin air. They want to watch teams that they're familiar with. And it's tough to get over that hurdle. I think if a team could or if a league could make it three or five years or something like that, then you might have a chance to get past that. But early on, it's a big problem. That probably would have been the deciding factor for the NFL versus the AFL long term. And that's why they probably could have outlasted the AFL if that's what they decided to do. But Roselle didn't want to do that. He realized the value of expanding the NFL's footprint and uh, expanding into some new markets. And that's what he chose to do instead. So the two leagues merge. 
the AFL effectively ceases to exist, although the teams were still around and a bunch of the key figures were still around. So what is the legacy then of the AFL? Well, first and foremost, it's that football could be fun. At the point in the NFL's history when the AFL came along, scoring had been dipping slowly, slowly downward. A lot of people were still skeptical of the forward pass. They thought the ground and pound way to do things was the way to go. And it was hard to argue with that, especially given the success that people like Vince Lombardi had running the ball. But the AFL proved that football could be fun, and they produced a bounce in scoring that ultimately regressed a little bit after the merger. But then they incorporated some rule changes, the new NFL did, that ultimately led to the NFL that we have today. That, I don't think, would have happened as quickly without the AFL proving it was possible to build games around passing. The AFL also helped the NFL expand almost instantly, literally overnight, I guess, in some senses, into new markets, especially markets in the South and West, areas where the NFL had not done a super great job of expanding. With that merger completed, the the NFL not only got to that increased footprint, but you also got increased TV markets, new opportunities for merchandising, things like that. More stuff to go into the NFL coffers. Finally, the battle with the AFL, I think, sealed once and for all that TV money was going to be the key to not only the NFL survival, but its growth and its continued popularity. TV money has to be the true legacy of the AFL and its battle with the NFL. The growth of the NFL, even today, is still largely predicated on TV deals. Uh, The next CBA is going to be big-time streaming deals, stuff like that. The race for that TV money defined the battle between the AFL and the NFL, and I think that is the true legacy of the AFL itself. TV money matters, and it matters today more than it ever has before. But it mattered first during the 60s when the NFL was doing battle with the AFL. So I've got for you in this episode. I do thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate everybody who takes the time to tune in, even in a shorter, a little bit different episode like this one. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep this thing going, the best way to support us is leaving a rating and review in the podcast app of your choice. That helps more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, check us out on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Leaving a buck a month there helps us offset some of our costs. And if you want to look good while supporting the show and the site, check out our Teespring store by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or got a question or whatever, uh, check us out on social media or via email. That is a great way to help us make this show better. And it also furthers our mission of helping everyone become smarter Packers fans. Because if it does, if, it, if you have a question, chances are somebody else has that same question. And if we can answer it for you, chances are we'll answer it for somebody else as well. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.